How can a holy God forgive guilty sinners? Pastor Ed Taylor says the law saves no one, but Jesus can save everyone. The law says you're guilty. The law says look at God's holiness. Look at his requirements and then compare it with your life. But unfortunately, there are those that when they're trapped in the corner, they reach out to the law to try to save them. Well, I'll just start keeping the Ten Commandments then. But the law shows you that you can't. You can't keep them perfectly. And the law can't cleanse you, can't change you, can't empower you. All the law can do is point out flaws and sin in your life. This is amazing grace. When the book of Romans was penned, there was a large number of people with a skewed view of salvation. They believed that salvation came through circumcision and living by the law of God. In Romans, the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that we are saved by grace through faith. It's a message that needs to be heard today as countless people think they can get to heaven through self-effort or living by the law. We're talking about being justified by faith today on Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in Romans chapter 3 and verse 31. Do you know that you're saved the same way the Old Testament saints were saved? By faith, through grace? So, oh, no, no, the Old Testament, they kept the law. Well, they kept the law to the point where they found out every time that there was a sacrifice and the shedding of blood, they realized, you know what? That animal's dying for my sin. And the Bible says in the Old Testament that sin wasn't taken away, but it was rather covered. Kafar is the Hebrew word. It was covered to the point of the promised Messiah. And it was through Jesus Christ that John the Baptist, remember, behold the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. And so the law saved no one. God saved by grace through faith. Are you with me so far? Good, this is foundational. Three covenants. We don't have time to get in depth, but I'll give you the passages. You can do some homework today. The first covenant is Abrahamic. It was the covenant that God made with Abraham. You can see it beginning in Genesis chapter 12, reading through about till 18, 19 chapter, chapter 12, 13 through 18 or 19 or so. This was the covenant that the promise was given to Abraham that he'd be a father of many nations, that the seed would come from him, that he would be justified by faith. It was based on faith. And when you read the scriptures, Abraham was asleep when it was being done. God, it was all of God. And Abraham was there in agreement with God. It wasn't based on Abraham's performance. It was based on God's promise. Then, 430 years or so later, we have the Mosaic Covenant at Mount Sinai. It's found in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. We saw it in Deuteronomy chapter 4. This was a covenant of works, and it kept Israel pure until the Messiah would come through this great nation. The Bible says this second covenant was added because of transgressions. Some will try to teach that the Ten Commandments always existed. They did not always exist. They were, it, they were added, and they came to Moses. It wasn't made with the patriarchs. It was made with Moses. And then the New Covenant is the third one that's important in the Scriptures, and that's the covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 26, where he says, I've given you a new covenant. 
I've given you a new way to relate. It's by faith. And it's by grace. It's by my finished work, Jesus says. So awesome. Now, when you look throughout the scriptures, every covenant had a sign. A sign that signified the covenant. For instance, for me right now, I have this gold ring on this finger. What does that tell you? I'm married. I got a sweet wife, Marie. She's great. 17 years she's put up with me. 17 years. And I have this ring that says, I'm married. Yes, I am. I'm married. A sign, a sign of the covenant, a sign of the vows. One of the neatest times in marriage is when you see them holding the groom and the bride, holding each other's hands with the ring right here. They're saying their vows, commit, and they pop that ring on. It's so neat because it's a sign for everyone there and for everyone else to say, hey, this is the sign of my covenant. I'm a married man. I'm a married woman. It grieves me for those of you that decide not to wear your wedding rings. It grieves me, especially you ladies. You know, of all the things that guys do, they check. Guys are really punks, man. <laughs> not just kidding. Not, come on. They check to see if you're wearing your ring. Because no ring means open door. That's what it means in this world. No ring means open door. And I know there's an excuse. I don't like the ring. I don't want this. And I don't like this. And guys, as guys you guys don't like wearing your ring in. or some macho thing, right? Oh, oh, you know, at work, I don't want to wear it. Well, put it on after work. You're telling the world, that, hey, you know, I'm married, but I don't really want to tell anybody. Or really, you're telling the world, I'm married, but I don't want to tell anybody. Right? I just repeated that. Did you hear it? <laughs> it's a sign. It's a good sign. It's a valuable sign. It's a profitable sign. It doesn't take, you don't need anyone to explain it to you. You see the ring, you know what it means. Same with the covenants. Abrahamic covenant, what was the sign? Do you remember? Circumcision. Ouch. That was the sign. Circumcision. It carried on. You knew you were under the Abrahamic covenant as as a male, you were circumcised. What was the Mosaic covenant sign? Do you remember? Keeping the Sabbath. See, for some of you, you're learning things today, aren't you? That's good. It's keeping the Sabbath. The seventh day as a holy day was the sign of the Mosaic covenant. What were the signs? There's two of them for the new covenant. Number one, water baptism. Water baptism is a sign that you're under the new covenant. That you've made a decision to publicly proclaim that you identify yourself with Jesus Christ. And so when you're water baptized, you say for everyone everywhere, I follow Jesus Christ under the new covenant of his blood. That's what water baptism does. Water baptism doesn't save anybody. You realize that, right? You could swim in the waters of water baptism and never be saved. We could hold you under as long as you possibly could stay there. But if your heart's not right, you won't be saved. It's only God that births a person again. He gives the power and the strength to be born again, not water. What's the other sign of the new covenant? Communion, the Lord's Supper, exactly. Each time we take communion, it is a sign that we have faith in Jesus Christ. There is no question whatsoever what communion signifies, his broken body and his shed blood. And so every covenant had a sign. And the sign of the new covenant is water baptism and communion. So then why the law? Why the law? Flip over to Galatians chapter 3. Let's walk through this together. The law saves no one. It only points out our needs. Look at Galatians chapter 3. This is so important for your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's so much guilt. There's so much regret among Christians. 
because the thought is I've never lived up to what God's standards are. But in Jesus Christ, you do. He empowers you to live a life that pleases him. Maybe a few Christians will come along your way and say, why are you wearing that and why are you doing that? And that kind of bums you out. But then you remember, you know, I stand before the Lord. When I take communion, it's not between my friends sitting next to me. My communion time is between me and the Lord. And when I was water baptized, I wasn't water baptized for anyone else. I was water baptized to identify myself with Jesus Christ. And Jesus doesn't condemn. He said he didn't come into this world to condemn, but to save. That's our Jesus. So, why the law? It was added because of transgression until the seed would come. Pick up with me in verse 15, Galatians chapter 3. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. You know what he's saying, just very simply? Marie and I have a will. It's in effect right now. We wrote it out, we signed it, we had it notarized. It's in effect. Nobody can change that will except Marie and I. That's it. No, none of you can change it. Nobody can come in and say, this is different, this is changed. It is what it is. And once it's ratified, once it's sealed, once it's signed, it's not being changed. It is what it is. And so Paul's taking this idea, going back to Abraham. And this is foundational for the rest of our study in Romans too because we're going to really focus on Abraham in chapter 4. So he's just saying, listen, even in regular world situations, when a covenant's enforced, it's enforced. It's not changed. So, verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed, which were the promises made. Notice he says seed, not seeds. It's to his seed, speaking of the Messiah. He'll explain that in a minute. He does not say to seeds, as many, as many, but as one and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, it was added. And the law cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ that it should make the promise of no effect. Remember, what was the promise to Abraham? The just shall live by faith. That's the promise. It's not conditional on works. That's just the promise from God. By faith, that's how you live. And he says, the law is not going to change that. It doesn't flip that around. It says in verse 18, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Listen to the New Living Translation, translating verse 19. It says, why, well then, why was the law given? It was given to show people how guilty they are. But the system of law was to only last until the coming child to whom God's promise was made. And there there is this further difference. God gave his laws to angels to give to Moses, who is the mediator between God and the people. Did you hear? It was given to be in effect until the Messiah came. Read it in the New King James now. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So when the seed came, no longer was the law to be in effect and in force. So until Messiah came, the law was in effect. But after he comes, Jesus, there was to be a new covenant that was promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, a new covenant. It's clear that the Ten Commandments have a definite beginning and a definite end. They began where? Mount Sinai, Horeb. And they end when? The coming of the Messiah. Definite beginning and a definite end. And so then the question becomes, are you saying, Pastor Ed, that the Ten Commandments are no longer in effect? They're no longer worth anything today? You don't even need to pay attention to them anymore? Absolutely not. I am not saying that whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are a great mirror in life to show your need for Jesus Christ, but they are not required in a covenant relationship with God. Get that? 
You live by grace through faith. As a mirror, they point out our sin. As a guide, they show our sinfulness, but they do not save us. And they're still very powerful in showing us. Look at now verse 20, Galatians chapter 3. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. It is, is, it, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Paul's saying, listen, if there was ever a law that could save someone, then that's how God would have given righteousness. But no set of external circumstances and external rules and regulations can change a person. Remember, always remember, the stop sign cannot stop you, but it can tell you to stop. And when you roll through it and you get pulled over, the sign will forever stand. They'll probably even take a picture of it and say, this is where it was. This is what I saw. Just in case you choose to fight it in court, the sign is the sign and it said what it said. Just like the law is a law and it says what it says. The law, you know what it does? It paints you into a corner. You ever paint yourself into a corner? You do that once, don't you? You don't do that twice. You're painting, oh, this is great. I'm never... And they're like, hey, wait a minute. Everything on the floor is wet and I'm in this corner. What am I supposed to do? And it paints you into a corner. You can't get out. The law says you're guilty. The law says, look at God's holiness. Look at his requirements. And then compare it with your life. But unfortunately, there are those that when they're trapped in the corner, they reach out to the law to try to save them. Well, I'll just start keeping the Ten Commandments then. But the law shows you that you can't. You can't keep them perfectly. And the law can't cleanse you, can't change you, can't empower you. All the law can do is point out flaws and sin in your life. Look at verse 21. Is the law against the promises of God? Certainly not. If there had been a law given, which would have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before, verse 23, faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Notice verse 24, you might want to mark this. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Or in some translations that says the law was our schoolmaster. It was our teacher. It's a picture that Paul's drawing from the Greek world because the tutor was a slave that was employed by a Greek or Roman family. And the tutor's duty was to supervise young boys on behalf of their parents. They took their young charges to and from school. They made sure they studied their lessons. They trained them in obedience. They were strict disciplinarians, these tutors were, scolding and whipping when needed. The role of the tutor was never, never, ever permanent. And it was a great day of deliverance when the boy finally gained their adult freedoms. But it was a strict disciplinarian. Throughout the time of that child's growth, the tutor was there to help and to guide and to discipline and to give direction. But there came a time when the child grew up and the tutor was no longer needed. That's the law. It's a tutor. And that's why I think it's very, very important that we use the law when sharing the gospel and taking them to Exodus chapter 20 and just going through when you're sharing the gospel with someone. Say, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? You know, if you were to die today, would you be in heaven? And most people are going to say, oh yeah, absolutely. I'm in heaven. I'm born in the United States. I'm a Christian. I'm in heaven. I went to church once. I've got a Bible on my... And there's the mentality that that's all that's needed is to somehow be around Christians in order to be saved. But the problem is is that they probably have never been face-to-face -face with their own need of a Savior. So you pull the Ten Commandments out, and you just start walking through. So, so you really think you're a good person? I'm a great person. I mean, compared to everyone else, I am the greatest. 
I'm greater than Muhammad Ali. I'm great. And they might roll off, well, well I'm not like Hitler. <laughs> great. I'm glad you're not like Hitler. But the question is, are you like Jesus? That's the real question. And so you start walking through. Have you ever murdered someone? Oh, I've never murdered anyone in my life. Have you ever thought about it? Mm, maybe. <laughs> Guilty. Have you ever lied to anyone? Well, let's see. Let's see. I'm 40 years old, and I'm looking back on my whole life. No, no I don't think I've ever lied to someone. And you go, you're lying to me, man, right now. <laughs> and you go through. It doesn't take but one or two of them before you realize, listen, you're guilty. That's what the law does. It shows that you're guilty. It paints you into a corner. It causes you to cry out, if I'm guilty, then how do I have this guilt removed? By faith in Jesus Christ. The law is very, very important. But the law and some external code of legalism doesn't save anyone. It only points out our need for Jesus Christ. Only faith in him saves. Many take Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Would you turn over there? We were just there. And they say, look, Jesus didn't come to end the law. But we've already learned that there's a definite beginning and end. It's so twisted today. It's used to def keep defending the Sabbath and Saturday worship. And, you know, there are some today that are on the earth saying worshiping on Sunday is opening you up to take the mark of the beast. And you need to worship on this day. And, and yet the Bible talks about letting us be fully convinced in our own mind when we want to worship. We can worship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You realize that, right? It's a lifestyle. You can worship on Saturday, you can worship on Sunday, you can worship all the time. You can worship in your cubicle, you can worship in your car, you can worship in the shower, you can worship shaving, laying. You can worship at any time because now you and God, you have a relationship. And it's so neat to just say, oh, my sins are forgiven. Oh, how happy we'll see in chapter 4 is that person that sin isn't imputed. Oh, how happy. But then Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 is so often turned to and it's so often taken out of context when Jesus says don't think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets I did not come to destroy but to fulfill and indeed that's exactly what Jesus did he fulfilled the law he's our perfect substitute he didn't destroy the law he fulfilled it because Paul tells us in Galatians that the law was here until the seed would come Jesus was born into the law, he lived under the law, he kept the law, and he's the only human being ever, ever, ever to keep the law. And by faith in him, his righteousness becomes your righteousness, and you and I are justified in his sight. He is the law keeper, he's the righteousness giver, we are the recipients. This helps us now back to Romans as we close. To understand what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 31, it also helps to clarify for you that are living by faith, that are living in the grace of God, that are enjoying your relationship, and you're meeting up with people that aren't liking you enjoying your relationship so much. They want to give you an external code of conduct. They want to tell you now how to live. They want to bring the law to you and say, this is the way you live, when all the while you know the way I live is by faith. And it's by faith, Paul says in verse 31, it's by faith that we establish the law. And it is established. The purpose of the law is to point out our sin, to get your attention, 
to show you, show you how much you really need the righteousness of God. The purposes of, of the law is so that every mouth might be shut and so that every man, woman, and child might look to Jesus Christ for help and for salvation. And by proclaiming the wonderful gospel of grace, we're not doing away with the law. It's a great mirror to look at our own lives, but it's not a means of salvation. The law and legalism have saved no one. Grace, Peter said, is not a cloak for us to live like the devil. God never, ever, anywhere gives us permission as Christians to live like the devil. You realize that? We don't go out and say, oh, it's grace, it's grace, let's just go for it, live in sin. No, no, no. We've explained that many, many times. What I know and see and understand is how powerful the love and the grace of Jesus Christ really is. It really softens a person. It really changes a person. The unmerited favor of God breaks down your heart. And so we live the same way we're saved, by grace through faith. And it makes sense, doesn't it, when Paul says, by faith, we establish the law. Because the law does its work in our lives. It did what God wanted it to do. It shows us how important the cross is. And because of our inability to do anything but to believe in Jesus Christ, by faith, we come humbly to the cross. And he saves us. And he washes us. And he cleanses us. And he empowers us to live the life that pleases him. I could give you a list of a hundred things that you could keep beginning today. And you could go out of this room eager and ready to keep all hundred things until you miss one. And when you miss one, you start kicking yourself. And when you miss one, you start beating yourself up. But God, he can plant his, heart, his law on your heart today. And you can leave out this room asking God, where do you want me to go to lunch today? Who do you want me to speak to? Where do you want me to work? How do you want me to talk? How should I? And as you walk by faith, you're not pushed by anything. You're not driven by anything. You're not coerced, but your heart is melted. And you come to the place, like Paul says, is that I am, my life is compelled by love. And so if my life's compelled by love, guess what? The people that I touch, the people that I minister to, what are they going to see in my life? Love. That's what they're going to see. They're going to see love. See, if I'm compelled by a list, then what are people going to see in my life? A list. But if I'm compelled by love, not only will they see love, but they'll see Jesus. The reason they'll see Jesus is because you know him, and you serve him, and you love him, and your heart's all soft, and you're just a big cuddly teddy bear in the presence of the Lord. You might be the hardest person in your background, but when you met Jesus Christ, you don't even think that way anymore. And when you do, what happens? Does it take someone else to tell you? Nope. The Holy Spirit busts you from the inside out. And then you're just melting. You're like, oh, Lord, you know me, don't you? One of the craziest psalms you can ever pray through is Psalm 139. Test me and know me and show me and examine me. And you get tired of being examined, don't you? <laughs> it's like, oh, my heart, I don't want to see it anymore. But you need to see it. You not only need to see the dark areas of your heart, but you also, by the time you leave here today, you need to see the things that God has changed. That should just totally encourage you, that you are not that same person anymore. And if you're living like you're that same person, stop it. Just stop it and surrender your life to the Lord, just anew and afresh, and let his Holy Spirit live in you. And then people will see you and go, you're not the same guy anymore. Why? You're not the same gal anymore. Why? And that's an open door, isn't it? Let me tell you about the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Well, the big takeaway from today's lesson in Romans 3 is the law saves no one. But it points to our great need for Jesus Christ, who is willing and able to save everyone by faith. Thanks for joining us today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. 
You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're accessible through our app, too. Do a search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Here in the month of December, we've picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE. Please remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and world. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, we've made it through the first three chapters of Romans here on Abounding Grace, and next time we'll see the Apostle Paul use the life of Abraham, the father of Judaism, as an illustration. We're told that Abraham was saved by faith before he was circumcised and before the law was given. We hope you can join us as Pastor Ed Taylor continues through Romans. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. 